I'm turning in my Bibles to the book of Galatians. Galatians uh, chapter 5. Turn in your book, Bibles, to Galatians chapter 5. I'd like to begin there this morning, beginning with verse 13. Have you found it? Then stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Galatians 5, beginning with verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now turn the page to chapter 6. Chapter 6, verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, He deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each one will have to bear his own load. You can be seated. Lord, we need no better introduction than to sing a song like Ancient Words, which is a prayer. Prayer, Lord, that we would be changed as we come to these words. So, Lord, meet us where we are at today. Do what only Your Word can do and its performance on the heart. It gets down right into our our motives, Lord, and what we're thinking. Lord, bring us back to the grace and hope of the Gospel. And may we live freely in it. May we be free to love as you have loved us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, earlier this week, my daughter and I were heading down the street. Uh, we were on our bikes. Or, well, hers is a tricycle. Okay, We're not the Kavines yet. We haven't mastered the, the two wheels. Okay, So she's on her trike, and it's you know the radio flyer. You know the red one has a white stripe down the middle. And it's got a little um, compartment on the back of it, like a little trunk space, you know. So usually it's cat, her stuffed cat that's going for a ride. Um, but on this particular day, uh, she was on a mission. We weren't just out riding to ride or going this way, which is usually to one Finstrom house, or this way, which is to the other Finstrom house. Um, but we were, she was looking for something, okay? Uh, and do you know what she found? Rocks. Okay. Now, not just any rocks. Okay. As we went along, I would hear her exclaim, "Wait a second! A special rock!" <laughs> and she pulled that trike around. She parked it, and she would locate that special rock. And we'd admire it for a minute, and then she'd open her trunk, toss it in, and we'd hop back on, and on our way we would go. Till about five or ten feet later, and then, wait a second! <laughs> a special rock. 
Where you come to our house today, what you would find is a bike that's full of special rocks. Now, as you look at those rocks, which I have done, uh, you might think to yourself, you know, these look awfully a lot like normal rocks. In fact, some of them aren't even rocks. Some are like compacted dirt. Um, some are asphalt chunks, okay? There's all kinds of things in there, but one thing you're thinking is, I don't know what in the world makes these so special. But they are. You know why? Because they, of who they belong to. They're special because they're hers. In fact, that's the only reason that they're of any value. In the hands of the radio flyer, they mean something. Now, I hope this isn't news to you, but more of a reminder that apart from God, you're just a normal rock. You're no different than all the rest. What makes you special, what makes you something, is who you belong to if you belong to Christ through faith. In the hands of the Lord of glory, you aren't just rocks. The Bible says you are living stones. Think about that. Living stones. So apart from Christ, what are we? We're nothing. And it's this attitude or this frame of mind that Paul's getting at as we come to Galatians in these chapter 6, these first five verses. Did you notice this in verse 3? Paul said, For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Now, Paul's saying that in the context of the way that a fruit-bearing Christian, because remember, we talked about the fruit of the Spirit, and how a fruit-bearing Christian relates to others. Our attitude towards others begins where? It begins with our attitude towards God. You may think you're something special if all you do is measure yourself by another person, right? And there are plenty of people who will appear inferior to you, right? Because of what their lives are like or the choices they've made or things that they struggle with, or even where they're from. Yeah, I know what you're thinking. Oh, he's from Ohio. Oh, man, what an inferior species. I know that's what you think about me. But have you heard what the South Dakotans say about Minnesotans? Yeah. Watch out. I'll tell you what, keep looking at other people. Keep comparing yourself. And very soon you'll find out that there's someone else who appears to be superior to you. And you'll envy what they have. It's not just symptomatic of unbelievers. It's what believers do when they fail to feed on the gospel. When they fail to abide, that means to continue in the words of Jesus, making that their daily consumption. What the gospel reminds me is that I'm a forgiven sinner who is now made complete. That means whole, full, in and through Jesus Christ. So instead of being like a vacuum, which is constantly sucking at things to fill some kind of vacancy in my soul, I become then like a fountain, right? My cup overflows, right? Doesn't the Bible say that? And it spills out, that life spills out onto all my relationships. So I'm not bound, that's how we were. You were bound at one point to use people for your advantage, not anymore. Now I begin to see them in the way that God sees me. And so we ended last week with this personal prayer. I don't know if we have the words up or... Is that working, Sharon? Or Okay, perfect. Remember this? Jesus, as you have been to me, 
so I will be to others. Remember this? This is my commandment, Jesus said in John 15, verse 12, that you love one another. How? How do you love them? As I have loved you. You know, love in the Bible is not just a a lofty ideal. It's not a concept that floats around somewhere up in the clouds that we admire, but we never get to feel. Okay, It's not just spoken, but it's always made tangible. It's always made concrete. If I can put it this way, love acts. So in chapter 5, verse 13, which is where we began today, remember Paul says, I want you to serve one another in love. Okay? And then in chapter 6, we see what that means. Right? What Paul discussed in chapter 5, he now applies in chapter 6. So what this is then, he's exhorting how the spiritual person, by which I mean spirit-led, okay, filled with the Holy Spirit, how a spiritual person acts toward other people. And here's the first way. Okay? Number one, how they deal with the erring brother. Verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. I'm going to put it this way, okay? The love of a Christian is delicate enough to do eye surgery. The love of a Christian is delicate enough to do eye surgery. You say, well, where do you get that from? Well, hold on a second. Let me ask you this. Does eye surgery sound like a walk in the park? Anybody feel qualified to uh, do eye surgery today? No? So you would have a problem if I decided to come up to you, you know, with my pen and try to get something out of your eye, right? Well, this is the image that Jesus gives us about removing sin. Just turn in your Bibles for a second to the book of Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, look at verse 3. Jesus said this, Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Hey, let me take the speck that's out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So there's a prerequisite, right, to performing this eye surgery, which is this. Make sure that you can see clearly first. Removing sin requires the delicacy of grace and humility. And that's why Paul says, you keep watch on yourself. I mean, consider yourself lest you too be tempted. Don't see yourself as superior when you go to a brother. That what happened to them, oh, that could never happen to you. If you have an air of pride, then guess what? You got a log in your own eye that needs to be dealt with. And that's no excuse to not help your brother then. No, Jesus said, no, you go get your eye fixed and then you go and you help your brother. Last week we sang this verse of a song. You remember the song, They'll Know We Are Christians by Our Love? 
Well, here's what one verse said. We will work with each other. We will work side by side. We will guard each one's dignity and save each one's pride. Listen, you do that and how you discipline each other. Hey, did you see a word that's within that word? In the word discipline, what word is that? See that? Disciple. The word disciple is in the word discipline. A disciple is one who is disciplined. And most of that discipline is formative. Okay, Like what I am doing with you right now, I'm teaching you, I'm instructing you according to how you should walk right as a Christian. That's called formative discipline. Most of the time, that's what we're doing with our kids as well, right? We're forming. We want to instruct them. You should do this. You should follow this way. But occasionally, our discipline must also be corrective, right? A sin has been committed, and the sin, listen, is significant, and it's urgent. Notice I said significant and urgent, meaning you need to exercise wisdom in what you feel needs to be brought up to a brother or sister. Because guess what? All of us sin every day, not just against God, but against each other. You don't bring up everything. Nobody wants to be in that kind of church. By God's grace, you repent of such things. But remember this. Okay, so remember this then. Love covers a multitude. How many is that? The Bible doesn't tell us. But a multitude of sins. The idea here in Galatians, if you turn back there, the idea here in Galatians is when a particular sin has caught us, right? That means overtaken us. When that happens, then it's time to act. Oh, yes. And Jesus had a very clear teaching about the way you go about this. Did you know that? He said the first thing that you do is, well, let's see if you can get the right response. Are you ready? Let's do a little quiz here, okay? Letter A, the first thing that you should do about, this is Jesus' teaching about corrective discipline, um, is this, okay? Tell the people in your small group about the person's sin so they can, quote, pray more intelligently. Have you, have you heard that before? You know, we just want to pray more accurately for this person, so let's, let's talk about what they've done together. Is that what you do? Is that what Jesus said you should do? Okay, how about this one? This sounds better. Okay. Tell the person in the wrong by sending a text message. That's better, right? But is that what Jesus said you should do? Would that be the way to communicate to somebody if they're in the wrong? Okay, this is even better. I love this one, right? Tell the pastor. Oh, here we go. Yeah, this is the way you do it. Tell the pastor so he can go and talk to the person in the wrong. Jesus didn't say that either. How about this? First, you go personally to the brother or the sister alone, and you talk to him about his or her sin. Is that the correct answer? Well, here it is. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Listen, between you and him alone. That's how you save their dignity. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. You know that word gained means to win? You have won. What have you won? Your brother. You don't go to win an argument. You go to win him, her, 
Paul used the same word for winning the lost. You need to seek to win people to Jesus Christ, and you need to seek to win the erring brother or the erring sister. And James said, if you do that, if you turn a brother back from wandering from the truth, you'll have saved his soul from death. Sound important? And i tell you what, all of us should have an attitude like David when it comes to being on the receiving end of corrective discipline. You know what he said about it? He said, let a righteous man strike me. Let him do that. It is a kindness. Let him rebuke me. It's oil for my head. Let my head not refuse it. Psalm 141.5. Listen, if a brother comes or a sister comes and identifies a sin in your life, your initial reaction may not to think so fondly of that individual. But listen, if they have judged rightly, and you know it, then welcome it. It's for your good. And isn't it a work of God that when that brother or that sister summons that courage, take some courage to do that, folks, right? To go and have that conversation... When the goal, okay, when the goal being supported by the gentleness of their spirit is clearly to lift you back up to the place where you were. That's the idea. When you restore someone and saying, you're saying to them, you know what, I want to see you back to where you were before. Resetting a bone is painful. True? True. But it's a healing pain. It's a healing pain. So be like David. Don't refuse it. The love of a Christian man or a Christian woman is evident in how they deal with an erring brother or an erring sister. They don't avoid that person. They don't sit idly and allow that individual to destroy him or herself. They don't gossip and talk about it to everyone except that person. That's not a man or a woman seeking the glory of God. That's a man or a woman seeking their own vain glory. Well, this is one way, right? This is one way that the love of a Christian is displayed. But it's not the only way, right? Verse 2. Paul says, Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. So secondly, Paul says, I want you to think about how a spiritual man or woman deals with the burdens of others. Do you bear the burdens of others? Or are you not interested in what others are carrying? You know, the Pharisees were called out on that. You see, they actually added burdens to others, but never, never lifted even so much as a finger to help someone. You know, the problem was that they saw themselves as too important for that kind of thing. Right? It was beneath them. But here's the ironic thing. Paul says that bearing a burden actually fulfills the law of who? Of Christ. The law of Christ is what? It's others-minded. Remember, we read John 15, 12. It's to love one another. And if you're seeing more of a concern for self in your regular schedule and routine, then maybe you're forgetting, listen, the load. Are you forgetting the load that love, capital L, bore for you? You want to see what love looks like in concrete form? Well, look at the burden of sin that was on Jesus' back. It was your sin. 
So Christians are glad to bear another's burdens because it's what their Savior did for them. Oh, I see you have a, a heavy load there. Here, let me help get under that with you. Okay? To bear a burden means to shoulder it, to redistribute the weight of it so that one person is not crushed under it. You see, the love of a Christian is delicate enough to do eye surgery, but it's also willing enough to carry the stretcher. Hey, does this surprise you? Christians have burdens. Heavy ones. You know, the moment you become a Christian isn't the moment you stop having burdens. We act like that sometimes. Like, the more mature we get in the faith, that means we'll have less problems. And we get surprised when we find out that, oh, someone's struggling with this. It could be any number of things. It could be a sin, right? A sin is a burden, like we just talked about in verse 1. But certainly not limited to that. What about sorrow? Anybody burdened with sorrow? Anybody burdened with loss? Anybody feeling the weight of loneliness? Anybody feeling the weight of depression? Or of a long-term illness? How about the weight of a disability? Or how about this? Divorce. You know, sometimes burdens like these are so heavy that they have to be shared if they're to be carried at all. And that leads me to two very important implications. Don't miss this, okay? Listen to what I'm saying. If you're going to help someone with a burden, then you need to get close enough to a person to know what it is. You can't have this, you know what, I'm, gonna, I'm better off keeping people at an arm's length kind of mentality that never gets past those distanced formalities. That's not a mind of God. Of course you're unaware of the burdens in your church because you're not available to find out about them. And the root of that is this. You're just not willing. That's it. We Americans only like giving our time if there's something in it for us, right? And I know someone's going to object with this. They're going to say, well, you know what? How can I possibly help with someone else's baggage when I'm dealing with my own? Right? I, we all got baggage, right? How in the world am I supposed to help somebody else? Listen, if you're going to bear someone else's burden, it means that for a time, you're going to have to put down your own. That's called the sacrifice. That's called Jesus' kind of love, right? Sacrificial love. It's a love that demands more of oneself than it does of others. See, the legalist, the moralist, demands more of others than he does of himself. A second implication then is this, that Christians share their burdens. They share them. They don't hide their troubles. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to share everything with everybody, obviously. But there are things that are not meant to be carried alone. A humble person, and might I add, a wise person, Asks for help. Right? They ask it from God, firstly, like David wrote. Remember this? Cast your burden on the Lord, 
Throw it on Him. And He will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. So they ask it from God, but they ask it from others too. They realize this, that most of the time, the way God lightens our load is through other people. And here's the marvelous work of God. Now, just okay, think about this for a minute, okay? That God has so outfitted His body, that's you, okay, that each individual part is spirit-led, led by God to help in different ways. Okay, so one person shares the weight of a burden by making a meal for somebody, okay? But still another person is led to say, you know what? I want to go and I'm just going to listen to that person. I'm going to pray for him. And so they go and they do that. But still another person comes and says, you know, I can help with uh, a repair that's needed in your house. Here, let me do that. And they lighten the load that way. And another person buys a book. Or another person says, you know, I'll watch your kids for you. Are you not amazed at the way God gifts and prompts us through the Holy Spirit to lighten the load? We approach it from all these different angles. That's God working to lighten the load for somebody. So be a good steward of God's grace. Bear one another's burdens. Uh, be like God's bellhop. Okay, that's the idea. You mean, you're at the ready, okay? And the moment you see someone struggling under the weight of something, you're there to step in. And Paul then adds this, okay? Did you notice this in verse 3? It begins with the word for. For, right? That's a connecting word. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. So here's the connection. If you think you're too special to bear someone else's burden, then you're really just fooling yourself. A flight stewardess once told Muhammad Ali, you know Muhammad Ali, right? The heavyweight boxing champ. She told him, prepare for takeoff. And here's what he said to her. Superman don't need no seatbelt. Apparently, he thought he was indestructible. But I love what she said. You know what she said back to him? She said, Superman don't need no airplane. <laughs> you think you're something, right? Well, sooner or later, hopefully sooner, you'll realize that you're no better off or worse than everyone else, and you better put your seatbelt on. In God's eyes, right, we are all sinners. Apart from His grace, what are we? We're nothing. What do you have that you have not received? That's a biblical question. So the third way that Paul says a spiritual man or woman acts toward others is this, in how they deal with the progress of others. The Christian's love is delicate enough to do eye surgery. It's willing enough to carry the stretcher and get this. Thirdly, it is humble enough to test their own work. Right? Verse 4. But let each one test his own work. In other words, stop comparing your walk with someone else's. Okay? Don't live in the shadows of someone else's faith. And then Paul continues, And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each one will have to bear his own load. The idea is that you need to prove your own work. How do your thoughts, your actions, your words measure up to God's standards? Okay, the measure of faith that's been allotted to you, each one of you, is not the same that's been allotted to the person sitting next to you. 
Do you remember the, that the master gave five talents to one servant and two talents to another servant? They're both servants, but God distributed them differently. What matters is, what are you doing with what you've been given? Right? And then, the reason to boast will be in you alone. So Paul's not saying, he's not saying that you should boast in yourself as opposed to boasting in the Lord. What he's saying, what he means is this. If you stop comparing yourself with others and humble yourself by examining your own heart, then you'll be able to have legitimate pleasure about the progress that you're making. Right? It should give you joy as you see God's fruit being produced in you. But don't measure that against your brother. Right? Don't say, well, I sure am patient compared to so-and-so. No, you measure it against God. Are you patient according to the way God wants you to be? Now notice this, for each will have to bear his own load. Now wait a minute. Hey, hold on, time out. Paul just said that we have to bear each other's burdens, and now he's saying you've got to bear your own load. So which one is it? Is he backtracking here? Well, here's where the English language sort of disadvantages us, okay? Because the word for load in verse 5 is very different than the word for burden in verse 2. They're not synonyms. They don't mean the same thing. Okay? The burden of verse 2 means a heavy weight, a load. But the word in verse 5, which my translation has as load, would probably be better understood as a like a traveling pack. Think of it like a, a backpack. Okay, It's referred to the kind of pack or kit that was carried by someone in the military. Thus, it was something that a person was meant to be able to carry. You should be able to handle this. Okay, let me highlight the difference here. If my car breaks down, you can help bear that burden for me by driving my family where they need to get, right? You can shoulder that. But one thing you cannot do is assume the responsibility that is mine as their husband and father, right? That is mine and mine alone to bear. So you have a unique allotment from God, and He will hold you responsible for what you do with it. So don't measure yourself by someone else. Don't keep looking at others. But see how you're doing as God has laid it out here. How do you measure up to Him? That's your pack. So three ways, right, that Paul exhorts us to be towards others. They describe how the Christian's love is to be expressed. And I love this. You know what? In all of them, we see Jesus more clearly. Right? We see how gently, how delicately He corrects and forgives sin in our life. We see how He bore the burden to Calvary. We see how He humbled Himself before God and was found faithful. Right, Faithful over God's house. God didn't just write up in the sky with flashing lights or, you know, send a text message just to everyone's phone saying, hey, I love you. But what did He do? The Word became flesh. It became one of us. That's, that's love made concrete. That's love you can reach out and hold. That's the kind of love you're supposed to display towards each other. It's tangible. You can feel it. And one day, you will be able to reach out and grab hold of Him. If today you turn to Him in faith. Do you trust Him? Do you trust in the Savior? He'll turn that dry well into a fountain of life.
you pray with me? Lord, we all have different, different packs that we're carrying today. Keep us, Lord, from looking at others and how they're doing in their walks. We should praise them. We should encourage them and be joyful when they're making progress. But Lord, help us to see how we are walking with you, to measure ourselves according to what you have said. And Lord, to be willing to go to a brother, a sister, who needs help. Oh, if you could just turn the lights on, if you could, in a snap of a finger, allow each one of us to see what burdens we're carrying today, we'd be shocked. So give us some courage. Summon us to get close enough to people to know them and to help them. That's what you've given the body of Christ for. Just like the way you loved us. It's in your name that we pray.